It's hard for me to believe. Last Sunday, I was completing my 29th year here at St. Luke's, and now I'm starting on my 30th year as pastor at this incredible church. You know, I've spent 44% of my life now as an Oklahoman, and God willing, if everything works out, I will spend more than 50% of my life as an Oklahoman and very proud of it. But the fact that I have spent still more than half my life growing up in Texas, I feel like I've really earned dual citizenship. A citizen of Texas, a citizen of Oklahoma. And I tell you one of the things that I've learned through this experience is Texas has a way of really instilling a sense of pride in the fact that you are a Texan. I didn't really fully appreciate maybe what had been happening to me until I moved to Oklahoma, been here a couple of years. My mom and dad, Marsha's mom and dad, they had made the journey up from Texas to see us here in Oklahoma City. We had been so busy with the church and our kids' lives. They came to see us. We had not had to go back down to Texas. Several years had passed, and I finally had a meeting down in Fort Worth. I flew down to Fort Worth. I checked into the hotel downtown. And then I went out to go to my meeting there downtown. I will never forget it. I mean, this happened now more than 25 years ago. I walked outside, and when I did, there was this blue sky. It was a lovely day. I looked up, and at the end of the street, there's this tall building, and up on the top of the building, the wind was blowing, and there was the Texas flag waving in the breeze. And I found myself stopping in my tracks and looking at it, and I put my hand over my heart. I, I mean, it was just so natural. It was, a, it was a, an emotion that was evoked, and I didn't even think about it, looking at that Texas flag waving against a blue sky. Now, they have a way of indoctrinating you. Later, my daughter Kelly and her husband Andy were living down near Dallas, and our first two grandchildren there... Luke and, and Mara, they were in elementary school. We were down there spending the night with them one time, and we went with them to school. And when we went to school, there to start the day, we were in their classroom, and just like I'd done when I was in elementary, they stood up, they did the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And when they were through, there was only a slight pause, and then they went into the pledge to the Texas flag. I was now old enough to look at Marsh and say, they are indoctrinating them. They are instilling that pride. And I must say, I have a lot of pride at some of the things from Texas. But I can't be proud about everything from Texas. No, we know that Texas was probably the last state where people were allowed to hold slaves. Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation in September of 1862. And not everybody heard about it. Not everybody certainly followed it. They didn't in Texas. It wasn't until literally after Lee had surrendered to Grant that General Gordon Granger, a Union general, had his Union army and marched all the way through Texas, all the way to the coast, to Galveston, Texas. And he arrived on June the 19th, 1865, 
to make the proclamation there that all slaves are freed. Because not everybody there had heard that. It was an emancipation day for all the slaves all the way to the coast there even in Texas. That's a big day. It's why it grew into a thing called Juneteenth. And why in Texas it really is a holiday that people want to celebrate the end of slavery. Not just the Emancipation Proclamation, but when all people finally were told you were free. Lots of people are talking about should that be a a national holiday. You know, some people say "That's that's a black holiday. That's for black people. I couldn't disagree more. I disagree because what an important day for all of us in America to be able to celebrate that we ended the institution of slavery. Slavery is something we all would oppose. We all would despise. And to think that we finally ended that institution and said everybody can be free Well, you know, that's something to celebrate, something for all of us to be proud of. We brought it to an end. It's like there in 1865, we were trying to step forward and live what our forefathers had written almost 100 years ago when they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, when our forefathers wrote those words, that all men are created equal, what they meant was all white men are created equal. We really didn't mean all people. No, it'd be another 150 years before it would give women the right to vote. 200 years before we finally would be opening up to let women move into leadership and and really pursue their dreams to be the person that God called them to be. No, we struggled very much with race. Though we had made a significant step there on June the 19th, 1865, we still had a whole lot of racism and prejudice that was going on just because people look different from one another, it's easy to look on our history. It wasn't just against black people. The things that we did to Native Americans. What we would do to people maybe who worship differently, Jews, Muslims, people of a different sexual orientation. No, people who came over from Italy, Germany, they were treated very poorly at times in different areas. We struggled as a country, as human beings, to be able to accept people who might look different, maybe act different, think different. We made a big stride through the Civil War on June 19, 1865. But you can see that we had a long way to go by what transpired on May the 31st and June the 1st. 1921, here in Tulsa, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in our great state. The fact that we had a place that was really called Black Wall Street, that there was a part of Tulsa where 
African-Americans had come and they'd kind of carved out their own little world. They had their businesses, their homes. They were very prosperous. They were doing extremely well there in Greenwood. And then there was a, a young man, Dick Rowland. He was going to a, a building to catch an elevator ride to go all the way to the top of the building. The reason he was doing it was that's where a restroom was, the only one he was allowed to use. And as he's getting on the elevator, well, he falls and he falls into a, uh, a young white woman. We think he fell. We don't know for sure. We know she hollered. In the end, later when she was interviewed, she did not press charges or say that anything inappropriate or wrong happened. It probably was an accident. Nobody really knows exactly what happened, but everybody began to think they did, and they all begin to share their own stories, and you know how that goes. One story leads to another, leads to another, and people build on stories until they had horrible things being said. And Dick was taken to jail, and now people talked about a lynching. And African-Americans from the community showed up to protect him, and other people wanted him. And we broke out into a night of fighting. You know, the airplane didn't get first flown until December of 1904. In 1921, we had small planes flying over that part of Tulsa dropping kerosene bombs down onto homes below. It all began to burn. It was the worst night of race fighting in American history. We believe maybe 300 people were killed. 35 blocks were destroyed. Tens of thousands of people were left homeless. The amazing thing was we didn't really talk about it. I was visiting with a friend of mine, Megan Han. She grew up in Tulsa, and she said, you know, I grew up there. I went to, through school there. I never heard of this. We never talked about it. We know that there has been a struggle with a sense of racism and prejudice, and yet we need to come back and remember who we are as people. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people, and now we mean all, are created equal. You and I believe that because we're people of faith. We believe it because it was Jesus who said, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, is you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to know who your neighbor is. And he told us a story of Samaritans and Jews. They lived in different countries. They worshiped God their own way, differently from each other. They despised each other. And a Jew found himself mugged on the side of the road and dying when along came a Samaritan who helped him and took him to an inn and took care of him. And Jesus said, who do you think is a good neighbor? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. No, we begin to see who are we called to be as the disciples of Jesus Christ. It is Paul who would say to the early church, you need to understand there is not Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. We are one in Christ. From the earliest days of the church, we really talked about the idea that all people are created equal. 
in God's eyes. That's where it starts for each of us. And that's what James talks about this morning in the early church. I want to continue on with this sermon series, The New Normal. And it is the belief that you and I are going through a period right now with this pandemic that I've come to believe is, isn't going away anytime soon. We're going to have to be figuring out for months and months, how do we do this? And we're wrestling with an economic situation that most experts are saying is going to take years for us to work through. And we're dealing again with this issue of racism that we've been dealing with since the beginning of time. And yet maybe this can be one of those times, one of those moments in history when we go through this and we will get to the other side. And when we do, maybe there can be a new normal that things can be different. They can be better. That's the idea. James was writing to the early church because they were experiencing one of those moments in history. There was great divisiveness between Jews and Romans and now Jews and these new group called Christians. And people would speak harshly about one another and certainly between men and women and Jews and Gentiles and there was so much that would be said about one another. And James, we believe the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem in those early days, would be writing and saying, you and I will praise God with our tongues and then we curse our brothers. The same mouth that praises God then curses our brother. It should not be so. How do we control and contain these very things that we say? That's what I want us to think about this morning. Today is Father's Day, and I think it's a very special day. And dads, we want to say Happy Father's Day to you. But you know, whether you're able to be with your father or not, Maybe your father is already in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe he is a thousand miles away. Maybe you're blessed and get to share lunch with him today. I hope all of us will take time to remember our fathers and give thanks for their love and knowing that they did the best job that they could. And we give thanks. And dads, I want us to take a moment today and remember what an awesome responsibility we have. Because of the things that you and I say, we're going to have great impact on our children's lives. And it's a great impact that we all have on one another's lives if we would watch the things we say about one another. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And I just really want to share with you two thoughts. When you read the passage, I, I like it when James winds up saying, you know, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. With our tongue, we can leave a scorched earth. He talks about how it only takes a spark, a small blaze to get a huge forest fire going. But you know, a tongue and a fire can also be a very positive thing. It's on Pentecost that we say we receive tongues of fire coming down, landing on all of the disciples as they begin to speak and is with those tongues of fire that they started the church. 
They started a blaze around the world. No, the fire doesn't have to be scorched earth. The fire can be an amazing blessing. And what is said to other people? Dads, you and I need to stop and realize that what we say to our children really does matter. I mean, how many of us, all of us, if you would stop and think for a moment back through your life, you can remember something that somebody said to you that was very hurtful. Somebody was critical. Somebody was attacking. We all could remember back and remember exactly what was said. Now, we may have received a thousand compliments in that same time, but we all can remember some of those words that were said that were so hurtful. For us to take seriously, to think about the fire that is our tongue, the power. I came across a fascinating man this past week. His name was Rob Kinney. Rob Kinney actually is 55 years old. He lives up in Seattle, Washington. It turns out he is married. He has two kids, both adults now, a son and a daughter. And Rob is a, a wonderful guy, very warm and loving, certainly a person of faith. And it is his daughter. He and his daughter had always been talking, and, and she's always being able to call him and say, Dad, how do I? Dad, how do I? And they said, you know, there's a whole lot of people, Dad, who don't have a dad like you. And maybe you ought to start a, a YouTube channel where you kind of tell people how to do something. I think that'd be very helpful and valuable. Well, Rob never really had gotten around to it, though he'd thought about it. Because you see, growing up, he too had lacked a father. I know he had a dad. He was one of eight children next to youngest. His mom struggled with alcoholism. And finally, when he was 10, 12, 13 years old, well, they split. His father had taken custody of the kids. But it didn't take too long for him to go, I can't do this. I don't want to be a father anymore. And he left the family. And suddenly, Rob was on his own. And it was his older brother who had just gotten married who took Rob in and gave him a roof over his head and a place to eat and so he could go to school. To lose that relationship with his father was really hard on him. It would be years. Years later, he would be reconciled to his father before he died. He said he would forgive him and they truly would reestablish their relationship. But he had missed so much with his dad. And so it was he thought about this, but he never really had the time until the COVID virus. And when the COVID virus came along, well... Like all of us, his schedule was disrupted and Rob found he had time on his hands. And so he decided he was going to create the video of, Dad, how do I? And he began cutting these little videos to show people how to do things. Tuesday is tool day. He would get out tools. I mean, most people have no idea on how to use tools. You know, these things are kind of clampy. It's called some pliers. They'd start showing people what to do with them. Or how do you iron a shirt? Maybe your dad never taught you how to shave. How do you tie a tie? Now, he started doing all these little videos to do different kinds of things. How do you unclog the toilet, unclog the sink? How do you change your oil? 
he started doing this and he thought that, you know, maybe, maybe 30 or 40 people might enjoy this. He might be able to help some. But when he started putting these out there, suddenly he had 500 people subscribing and then 5,000 and then 50,000. He put his first one out on April the 2nd. Now just a few weeks later, he has 2.2 million subscribers. And as Rob shares some of this pain in his life and what had happened, he found that so many other people began to share the pain in their life and that this became more than just a how-to video. It really became a, a community of people caring for each other. And as he did his videos, he wanted to make them happy and bright. And so he always throws in a little humor and he would make his jokes as he begins to do the subject of the day. Like he said, you know, my daughter called and said, my toilet won't stop running. And he said, I thought it can't be that fast. Why don't you catch it? And then he'd go on to talk about how do you stop a toilet from running? Or the day when he said, mom called and said, honey, the van won't start. Do you think you could jump it? He said, well, if I had a running start, I think I could get over the car, but I don't know about the van. He then taught them how do you jumpstart a, a battery. On that Tool Tuesday, he said, have you heard the joke about construction? I'm still working on it. Or another day when he was in construction, he said, today I'm going to show you how to use a stud finder. If you came here today thinking you were looking for help to find a boyfriend, well, that's a different stud finder. No, he has his jokes. He tells them each time. But he soon found, you know, dads do more than tell you how to fix things. And so he began to come up with other things. Today, I want to talk to you about how important it is to be on time. Today, I want to talk to you about how proud I am of you. Today, I want to talk to you about how important it is to take a risk and to grow. He began to share all kinds of fatherly things. The one that I love that he began to talk about was the day that he began to share with them what he always taught to his Sunday school class. He was a Sunday school teacher for younger children. And he said every year he would teach his kids. He would go up to the board and he'd write the word courage. How important it is to have courage. He said, you know what courage is? For me, courage is a three-letter word. That word is yes. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is saying yes in spite of your fears. When you feel uncertain and afraid and you take that risk, that is courage. And he said, we all need courage. And then he would write in front of the word and say, this. He said, sometimes because of the things we say, we discourage. That is, we take courage from people. And then he erased it and he would write the word in. But you can encourage. That is, you pour courage into someone by the things that you say. That you help them to find that courage to say yes in spite of their fears. He said, you need courage. 
when he comes to the end of his little talks, he always says to them, remember, I love you. I'm proud of you. God bless you. People are saying he is the modern day Mr. Rogers for adults. Really touching people's hearts and souls by being there to say, Dad, how do I do? How do I? You and I have incredible power by the words we speak. James tries to say to the early church, the words you speak can set things ablaze. The mouth that praises God can curse your brother. But that's not how it's supposed to be. You can use that tongue, that power, to start a fire around the world for good. We all have that power. But secondly, the way you control your tongue is through your relationship with Jesus Christ. I love the analogy James uses when he says, you have a ship and it's out on the sea and you got the sails and the wind is blowing. And have you noticed it's a small rudder that guides the ship? And it is the pilot that determines the rudder and where it will go. You and I have this life and we have this small tongue that can determine so much of life, what our home life is like, our family, our friends, our community, a small tongue. And the question is, who is the pilot that controls that tongue? Is it us and our own insecurities, selfishness? Or is it controlled by Christ and our relationship with Him? It's when we stay grounded in Christ that it will change our tongue so that everything about us changes in our homes, our families, the world we live in. It's where it begins. You know, this past week I've really been having fun watching so much of sports. Where are we going to go with sports? As we're trying to get this world to figure out how do you go forward with the COVID virus, what do you do, not do? You know, the question is, are we going to have baseball this year? I don't know. Are we going to finish the basketball season? I don't know. Are we going to have football come this fall? I don't know. I have heard that we're going to run the Indianapolis 500 on August the 23rd, maybe, it was canceled back in May. It always runs there in this last Sunday in May, but it was canceled this year, first time ever. As a boy growing up down in Texas, I loved the Indy 500. Every year when it ran on that Sunday, I tried to listen to it. And I did, I think, because of A.J. Foyt. A.J. Foyt was from Texas, such a great racer. I think it got my initial interest, but then, of course, I became a great fan of Mario Andretti. You know, I've been fortunate to go to Indianapolis and to go out onto the infield there for the Indianapolis Speedway to walk on the track, to kiss the brickyard. I know it's a great American tradition, and it may happen this year. 
But I got to thinking about Mario Andretti. Such an amazing guy. He's 80 years old now. His wife, Deanne, passed away two years ago. It turned out he was born in Italy back in 1940. And of course, the World War II was on the rise and all the struggles. He grew up there in Italy, but as things got so worse, his father wanted to escape, wanted to escape what appeared was communism that was coming, breaking up Tito and all these other things. They left with just the shirts on their backs and $100 in their pocket. They made it into Europe. It took three years for them to finally immigrate to the United States, and they settled in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And there in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, they started trying to make their way. Mario was 10. His brother was 11. It turned out that they, they got a job. They were going to valet park cars. Now, can you imagine a 10-year-old valet parking your car? He said, people would come to valet park the car. They would toss us the keys and they would walk in. And then my brother and I would wait and we would peel out. And we'd see who could go the fastest and get around the corners. Mario said, today, when I go to valet my car, I always think about that. Now he said, we loved cars. and We saw there in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, they, they had midget car racing. And they managed to build their own car. And they started racing a summer when they were older teens. And they both fell in love with racing. When Mario was 21, he really wanted to become a, a naturalized citizen, but he was still struggling with English. So his father hired a tutor. Her name was Deanne, and she spent the next nine months teaching him how to speak English. And when he could finally speak it well enough, he asked her to marry him. And so they were married. And he went on to become this great, incredible race driver. He would win the Daytona 500, the Indianapolis 500. He would win in NASCAR, Formula One, um, in IndyCar racing. He would be named Driver of the Year in three different decades. He would win 191 races. The guy was unbelievable. Continued to be in racing involved the rest of his life. Still involved in racing with his grandson, Marco now. No, he loved racing. But I saw an interview with him there at his home. And he was in his trophy room. It had to be a big room. 191 races that he's won. All these honors. And I saw this interview with him there in his, his house. And they asked him a lot of different questions. But boy, there were four that jumped out at me. And I'd like to suggest dads, maybe anybody, you might want to ask yourself these questions this afternoon. First of all, they were with Mario and they said, if you could spend one day with anybody here on earth, who would it be? Without hesitation, he said, the Pope. If you could be the artist who would be given credit for creating any piece of art in the world, which piece of art would you want to have created? And immediately he said, the Peta. It's Michelangelo's sculpture of Mary holding the body of Jesus after he had been taken down from the cross. They said, what is your favorite memory? And man, I started thinking, wow, what a lifetime he's had. What memory is he going to come up with having won the Daytona 500, the Indy 500? He said, my favorite memory 
was when I was a child in Italy. After church, we would all go to my grandparents' house, all the aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody in the family, and there was a big meal, and every Sunday afternoon, we were all together at my grandparents'. It is my favorite memory. And finally they said, so what are you most proud of? And again, sitting here in this trophy room, all these trophies, 191 wins, what are you most proud of? I'm proud that I've always had a head that fits on my shoulders. I'm proud of the way I took care of my parents. I'm proud that I've been married to my wife for 55 years. I'm proud that I've been a father to my children and to my grandchildren. As I listened to Mauro Andretti reflecting back on this incredible life, it was clear to me that what gave him meaning and joy and the things he celebrated were his relationships. And his relationships were founded on his faith. It's when you and I walk close with Christ that we have a pilot who controls our tongue and we are careful of the things we say to our children, to our friends, to all of those around us. Because then it is the mouth that praises God that can encourage our brother and sister. It's then that you and I are truly able to say, we believe some things are just self-evident. That all people are created equal and are special in God's eyes. It is then that you and I can find the courage we need to love our neighbor no exception. And that can become the new normal. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.